Genesis chapter 45, applied. As we move through Genesis and we're getting close to the end, we're just trying to take every chapter and draw something out of that that we can make as an application in our present day life. And today's chapter is not going to be hard. Chapter 45, good stuff. Here are five questions. If you're part of the School of Biblical Studies, you'll want to go ahead and note these. But here are five questions that uh, I'm going to try to answer as we move through this sermon segment. Go ahead and screenshot that and you'll have them. Got it? All right, here we go. <coughs> Excuse me. When God Takes Your Breath Away is the title of this particular lesson. When God Takes Your Breath Away. Really neat chapter. We're finally going to climax the life of Joseph. In Genesis 45, beginning in verse 1, it says that Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out of the room. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. It was so loud, as a matter of fact, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. I want to use this passage to set us up for three points, three applications that you and I should make to moments when God takes our breath away. Let's review. Remember the story of Joseph and how he's the favored child of Jacob because he's born to the favorite wife of Jacob. But he, because of his advantages that he has, going to have the nice coats, coat, and all those kind of things. His brothers hate him. Joseph then starts to have dreams. The dreams are about his brothers, his family, bowing down before him. They hate him even more. He shows up one day while they're out away from home, and they throw him in a well. They throw him in a pit. They're not sure what to do with him. They're thinking about killing him, and eventually it's give the, the, the suggestion is made, hey, let's sell him to this caravan that's coming through. So they sell him to the Ishmaelites as they're coming through, and Joseph then has a major, major transition in life, and he goes from being the favored child to a slave in Egypt. He's bought by Potiphar. Quickly, it's seen that he can be a good influence on the household. And so the entire household is under the command of Joseph until the wife. She puts up that lie, which gets him thrown into jail. In jail, you might recall, he is also seen as an individual who's got all kinds of abilities and advantages. And, and he is quickly over top or in control of all the other prisoners within the jail. And then the butler and the baker and their dreams, he interprets it. He asks the butler, he says, listen, when you get back, please tell Pharaoh about me. But the butler doesn't remember him until sometime later. Up to that point, you've got to know <clears throat> that this roller coaster ride of Joseph was just so horrendous that there were many moments when he wanted to give up, just throw his hands and say, I quit. But he didn't. Even when Pharaoh then has a dream, and he's called in before Pharaoh, Joseph doesn't fail to give credit to God. Pharaoh said, I understand you can interpret dreams. Joseph said, nope, but my God can. Doesn't fail to give credit to God. And now we come to what always happens. God never forgets his own. God is going to reward him in huge, huge ways. What we see in this opening paragraph is that Joseph is finally going to stop, if you will, testing his brothers, and he's going to say, okay, it's time for me to tell you who I am. He throws everybody out the room except him and his brothers, and he says, I'm Joseph. 
And remember, he probably looked like the Egyptians, walked like the Egyptians, talked like the Egyptians. And so he probably, he probably was somewhat incognito up until this point. It seems in this last, uh, last uh, sentence that they had no idea up to this point. I'm Joseph. And maybe he takes off some of his garb, takes off some of his makeup. I don't know. But he begins to tell them maybe stories that only he could remember from their past. And they begin to think, this is Joseph. And they are dismayed. And you can imagine that they would be dismayed because now what's going to happen? If you're really Joseph and you're as powerful as you obviously are and we did bad stuff to you all those days years ago, what are you going to do to us? So you can tell that they would definitely be dismayed. But I want to use this idea of when God takes your breath away to give you three applications that you and I must make because in the same way that the breath has been drawn out of the lungs of the brothers. It's also been drawn out of the lungs of Joseph. He's finally able to say, there's a reason for all the suffering, the hurt, the pain. All right, let's make three applications to this. <clears throat> the first application I want to make is that we need to make sure that in the midst of having your breath taken away, that you always acknowledge, acknowledge God. And remember, that's what Joseph has done throughout how he kept his, his faith, you know, etc. through all that he went through, I don't know. I hope that I, I would have been a big enough man to do it, but I'm not sure I would have. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. First of all, I want you to see the character of this man, Joseph. Don't blame yourselves. I have been through agony, horrors, that I can't even explain to you because you sold me all those years ago. Don't blame yourself. God needed me on this journey. It's a powerful passage illustrates how God can take a bad thing and turn it into a good thing. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And I think it's three times he says, for God sent me, and God sent me, and then he can climax and says, it's not you, it's God who sent me. You see what Joseph is doing there? As his breath is taken away, I'm going to have my family back. All these years of horrible suffering and separation is going to come to a climax. It's going to come to an end. It's going to be resolved, kind of like the story of Job, who goes through that horrible journey only at the end to have all that stuff replaced. Joseph is now in a position where he just, his breath is like, I can't, it's too much. But in the midst of that, what does Joseph do? He acknowledges the one who brings him to this point in time. Two men looked out of prison bars. One saw the mud, the other the stars. It's all in the way you want to look at it. Joseph could have bemoaned his past and he could have said, God made me go through all of this. I give up on God. But he didn't do that. He was the guy who looked out of prison bars and saw the stars. He said, I'm not going to bemoan my circumstances. I'm going to ask God, what are you doing with this? And I'm going to stay faithful so that I can see the climax one day as it comes about. And now we're in the midst of the climax. And so Joseph, as his breath is taken from him, at the goodness of God, he's going to celebrate God in spite of the journey. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. God walked with him. 
It was God who was with him in the pit. It was God who was with him on the journey to Egypt. It was God who was with him in Potiphar's house. It was God who was with him in the jail. It was God who allowed him to interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker. It was God who allowed him to interpret the dreams of, of Pharaoh. And now it is God who sets him his second command over all of Egypt. His breath is taken away and he says, I'm going to make sure I acknowledge God. When you have one of those blessing moments, don't you forget to acknowledge him. One of the things I like to remind people is that you need to put as much energy and passion into your thank you as you put into your, please God help me. I can remember some years ago, my little grandson got three viruses at once. They had to airlift him to Little Rock, wonderful children's hospital down there, and they took care of him. And I, I, I can't tell you how many hours I spent on my knees praying, God, please take care of this little guy. When he finally recovered and we were able to bring him home, I tried very hard to spend just as much time saying thank you, thank you, thank you. In fact, came up on my Facebook memories just a, you know, about a week ago, a picture of this little guy sick and in the hospital. And I stopped and I said, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Try to thank God with as much passion as you ask of God. Number two, second application, not just acknowledge him, but make sure you share the blessing that he provided you. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children, your children's children, and your flocks and your herds, all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Come down here, I'll provide for you. Joseph says, I'm going to put you in the land of Goshen, some of the best land of Egypt. I will provide for you. The second thing that Joseph does is he makes sure that he's not selfish with the wonderful blessing that has drawn air out of his lungs, just took his breath away. He's not selfish with it. He's going to share those blessings. And we need to do it as well. Acknowledge God. Make sure that you pass along the blessings. But this third point to me, in fact, it's a phrase I only discovered yesterday. I was putting the final touches on this lesson, and as I, I had come up with a, third, a different third point. But this phrase, and I've read it a hundred times, because I've read through the Bible, you know, and this phrase, it popped out like I had never read it before, even though I had. It's an amazing phrase. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for their journey. To each of, uh, and all of them he gave a char change of clothes, excuse me, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, watch it. And as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. That's interesting. First time I saw it was yesterday as I was reading through this. And I changed my third point to when God takes your breath away, make sure that you capitalize on the teaching moment. This is especially important for parents. Whenever you've survived a difficulty, maybe it's a financial setback or a health problem or whatever it may be. It's not just important that you spend as much energy thanking God as you did asking, 
but spend as much energy teaching your children to thank God. That's why the Deuteronomy 6 passage is so very important, the, the Shema. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the path, every moment of every day should include the awe of God. And that's why when we send our children away to the world to have them spend, the, the children to spend the majority of their time being tutored by the world during their waking hours, during the school week, we lose this opportunity. It's not just that you don't get to see little Johnny and Susie grow up physically. You don't get to influence them as they grow spiritually when you send them off to the world. We've got to capitalize on this teaching moment. Notice what Joseph does for his brothers. He recognizes these guys. And he understands the potential of them quarreling along the way. Now, he doesn't go into detail, so I don't know what they're going to quarrel about. But maybe they're going to quarrel about, you know what? It was really your fault that we sold Joseph. Or maybe they're going to quarrel about, look at all the stuff he gave us. Maybe we could stash some away and not give it all to Dad. Or maybe they're going to quarrel about, who knows. But Joseph, knowing the situation, he makes sure that his brothers focus on the breath being drawn away. Make sure you capitalize on these moments, parents. Make sure that you share with your, your children the blessing in such a way that they feel overwhelmed. Because sometimes things are so, I don't know, they can be so complicated in life. And they can be beyond the child. Not understanding. Because much of ch the, the, the childhood is spent just kind of doing what mom and dad say. And we just feel like everything's going to work out because mom and dad are in charge. And so we don't, we, we spend our childhood just having faith in mom and dad. And that's fine because that's the way it's supposed to be as we're children. But to build a faith so that one day they will have their own faith during these moments that they're dependent upon you as a parent, make sure you show them the intensity of your faith. Show them how wonderful it is that God has blessed us with this. You know that bill we've been paying about during our family devotionals? You're not going to believe this. Aunt Sarah sent us uh, enough money to pay that bill. And so now we can pay it. We need to be praying to God. Isn't that exciting? Share with them so they can feel the intensity of your joy just as you're feeling the intensity of your joy. One of the reasons that doesn't happen is because we tend to be very selfish people. And when God provides, we just, we just run off with it. We might have a moment of, wow, isn't that good? But never really stop to, with intensity, give God the, the, the grace or, or, the, or the thanksgiving for the grace that he has provided for us. It's kind of like some children today in our modern world who just feel like that's what parents do. Parents are supposed to take care of you. Parents are supposed to bail you out. Parents are supposed to. And we, we've raised a generation of folks who think that everything should be done for them and not a generation of folks who would be thankful for what is being done. When God blesses you, make sure that you acknowledge him. Make sure that you share his blessings. Capitalize on this. Make it a teaching moment where you sit little Johnny and Susie down and, and you say, we've got to talk this through because it's, it's amazing what God has done. By way of conclusion, when God takes your breath away, acknowledge him, share his blessing, capitalize on the teaching moment. And then I'd like to make this last little application for you. As you pedal forward into the next book, 
Lot's going to transpire between Genesis 45 and Exodus chapter 1. But as we travel forward into Exodus chapter 1, God's folks are still living in Egypt. But this is what you find. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. If there's one thing that I have noticed in my life, it's that the journey with God is generally a roller coaster. You got your ups and you got your downs. And I think the reason for that is because Satan is in control of this whole world. And the moment you catch a glimpse of what it's going to be like or what it is like to have the blessing of God reign over you, he's going to steal it. Satan is going to do everything he can to plunge you back into the darkness, plunge you back into the valleys of life. And so the last application I'd like to make is make sure you do all these, but also be sure to store up God's breathtaking moments because there's likely to come times in the future when you're not at the mountaintop anymore. Satan has plunged you into the valley and you're going to need something for encouragement. Store these things up. My mom likes to take notes and she writes things down the way that God has blessed us, etc. Take these, store them away, and be prepared in the future to draw on the strength to remember that moment when you were on the mountaintops like Joseph is now. Bring dad down here. You guys live down here. I'll take care of all of your needs. It's going to be great. Big family reunion. Can't hardly wait. He's at the mountaintops. Store those things away because there's going to come another valley. And when that valley comes, you'll need these things to be able to pull you out of the valley to give you that encouragement. So be sure to store up God's breathtaking moments for times of trouble that will be happening in the future. Here are the five questions that we tried to cover. You got them?